Welcome to episode 21 of Rail Talk, the last episode of 2023. We're going to run down what was great about 2023, what sucked about it, but mainly we're going to look forward to 2024. And John, on an earnest note, I look forward to doing many, many more shows with you and I guess Patty. Yeah, I guess, Patty. You know, Joe, it, it's been a great run so far. I've laughed. I've cried. I've kept myself up at night. Um, and then we've also done the show. So it, it's been it's been a lot of good emotions. Um, but this is considered the bonus show for our sponsors. We promised them 20 shows in six months and anything more than 20 shows would be a bonus, would be a freebie. So sponsors, thank you for all your support and enjoy this freebie on us. This is a Bonus show, so I don't have to wear a shirt or anything, right? We can start cursing left and right. It, it's it's Not it's that a we don't do that already. That's <laughs> right. It's a fucking free for all. <laughs> start the show. Rail Talk is sponsored by TaylorMade Sales. They're the worldwide leader in thoroughbred sales, marketing, and horse care. Family-owned and operated since 1976. And their values are clear, and they follow through on them to be honest and transparent, to care for the customers, the team members, and the horses like their family, deliver smiles through service, always have fun while striving for excellence, and always look for a better way, which they did across the board in 2023. They were the leading consigner at several of the major sales. Obviously, they helped Wonder Wheel get through the ring and sell for our buddies at DJ Stable. So shout out to TaylorMade for another booming success in 2023. Can't wait to see what you guys have in store for next year. So big news of the week, and it's a slow week was the graded stakes, American Graded Stakes Committee rulings. Now, these get people kind of a little uproar, uproar, that's not a word, up in arms over their decisions every single year. And specifically, if you are a fan of Naira and New York racing, and I am a very, very big fan of those things because I grew up going to these tracks and I still think New York is the most important circuit in America. It seems that every year, Naira and the New York racing uh, Graded stakes get downgraded way more frequently than everybody else. Like there is now no more grade one race at Aqueduct the entire the entire year. That wasn't, you know, excluding the Belmont at Big A thing. The Carter now is a grade two. That follows the Cigar Mile being downgraded from a grade one, which followed the Wood Memorial being downgraded from a grade one. So now from basically November to April, there isn't a grade one race in New York. And to me, that's a joke. And the Carter in particular, like it's an interesting discussion. We're going to talk about to Craig Burnick a little bit about it later. He was on the grade stakes committee. He wasn't involved in this year's discussion, but I mean, the Carter has been won by hall of famers like throughout its, throughout its lifetime. And I, I, I just think there's too much like, Oh, well the last couple of runnings of this race haven't been so strong. So downgrade like when they downgrade the hopeful and then realize what a mistake that was and bump that up to a grade one because like the, the hopeful winners lie in the hall of fame i just think you have to have a greater historical perspective on these things especially when you're upgrading races like the franklin simpson stakes to a grade one at kentucky downs can you name a horse forget a horse that won that race name me a horse that ran in that race the last five years, I guarantee you, you can't do it off the top of your head. And now it's a grade one and the Carter isn't. John, Joe, I can only do that. I can only do one only because we ran coinage. In it two say, years it's ago. Excluding <laughs> if your horse ran and, in it. And honestly, I had forgotten that we ran in it because we ran so poorly. <laughs> I, I 
immediately removed it. From, so you're right. No, if it wasn't if it wasn't for a homer, then I wouldn't I wouldn't know the difference. I'm sorry, I interrupted you yet again. No, no, no it's all it's all you. Okay, so so yeah, you know, you look you look at a race like the Carter. Well, there were five grade ones that were downgraded, and three of them I agree with the committee are no brainers. Um, you know, the unfortunately the the Beverly D because it's been bounced around so much and because it's no longer home, uh, you know, run at Arlington. um, I understand why they, they did it. It's only had five horses in the race in 23, only five horses in 22 and only five horses ran in 21 and it canceled in 20. So I I understand. I, I get the Beverly D being downgraded. I get the United Nations at Monmouth being downgraded because there just haven't been good horses that have gone in there. They've, they've had full fields most of the years, but none of them are anything to write home about. That's another race where like, unless you had a horse running in there, I, I dare you to name me a horse that ran in there. Um, and the Hollywood Gold Cup, you could also make a case for uh, that, that maybe it should be downgraded, even though Country Grammar finished first and second in it the past two years. Senior Buscador hit the board in it last year. There were some good horses in there. Um, but the one that that really made me kind of question the, the uh, you know, the, the whole the whole voting system and the process was the Carter. Um, and, and again, Joe, you can say, hey, last year, 23, you had Doppelganger, Repo Rocks, Express Man, no offense to them. Not common household names. You, you know, a lot of fans aren't going to know who they are or what they represent. Two years ago, the Speaker's Corner won. And he's standing at stud in Kentucky, like a legitimate stud. Reinvestment Risk, who placed in two grade twos. And Mind Control, who's also standing at stud and, and, and won a couple of grade ones. That was your top three finishers in, in 22. Mischievous Alex won it in 21. Vacoma won it in 20. Another legitimate stallion prospect in in Kentucky, um, you know, World of Trouble in 19. Say what you want about him because he was a, a service trained, a, a Jason service trained horse, you know. But 2018 was Army Mule, who ran again, a 120 buyer, ran a 120 yeah. buyer. Chris Corner ran a right. 114 and run those winning those races. Yeah. So so if if the if the group goes back five years, which according to Craig that, uh, Bernick, that's what they do. They, they take a five year snapshot of it. Um, the Carter is one that that I would have a question for. The other thing that that stuck out in my mind about all these races getting upgraded, downgraded, what have you, Joe. There were thirty races, thirty stake races that were downgraded from twenty three to twenty four, twenty twenty three to twenty twenty four. Thirty races, okay. How many were f- from the state of Kentucky? If I I'm said the over under was five. Yeah, I would say like four or five. Okay. Would you believe that there was not one race, one stake race in the state of Kentucky that was downgraded? That's interesting. Now you can say, hey, racing racing is very popular in Kentucky. Racing, the purse money is phenomenal. Um, you know, the 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 boutique meets, whether it's Keeneland um, in April or October or uh, uh, um, or a Kentucky Downs, you know, they get a shit ton of handle and a lot of money and a lot of horses that run there. So they should be upgraded or they should be recognized, uh, you know, from listed degraded stake races, maybe. But you can't tell me that there weren't any stake races, any stake races that were run in the Commonwealth of Kentucky that shouldn't have been downgraded. That to me, sm- I'm not a conspiracy guy, but that to me smacks of just inane homership okay on that there were four listed races that were increased improved graduated to a grade three okay 
or 100% of them were from Kentucky, Joe? Uh, 100%. 100% of them. Shocking. Color me shocked. 100% of them went from listed to a grade three. All in the state of Kentucky. Now, there were nine grade threes that became grade twos. Less than half of them, only four of them were in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. So, you know, so that, that that's that's kind of at least, you know, palatable. But I don't know, man. I mean, it, it, again, it's it's not a homership because I'm not in New York. You know, I wasn't born and bred in New York like like you were. Um, so I don't have the emotional attachment to some of these races. But you can't tell me that the Carter deserved to be downgraded. And there was not one stake race, not one in the Commonwealth of Kentucky that deserved to be downgraded. It just doesn't make any sense to me. That's that's why I love doing this show with you, John. I had not even noticed that when I looked at the races that were downgraded. That is bananas to me. Yeah. Somehow all the somehow all the graded stakes races in Kentucky in the last five years were right up to the standard of the American Grade Stakes Committee. That is mind-boggling. Right. And you look at some of the other races that were downgraded, like the Schuylerville. Like what? Why can't we have a grade three uh, for two year olds at Saratoga? Like I, on, on opening right. day, like it's it's a it's a tradition. Um, right. I mean, the Royal Heroine, the Prioress, both down to grade threes. The Hill Prince down to a grade three. One this year, by the way, by West Point partially owned integration might be the best turf horse in America in 2024. Knock on wood. But I guess yep. that doesn't matter. The Vosberg. The Vosberg was won the last couple of years by Elite Power, who was the back-to-back champion sprinter. Like Craig said, this he's he says that it's about the field the the field quality, field points accumulated among the whole field, as opposed to just who won them. But like, come on, there's a reason that Elite Power pointed to the Vosberg Stakes because it's it's a historic race that Belmont's been running for a million years and used to be a grade one, now is down to a grade three. Yeah, the Vosberg somehow gets downgraded, but can you name a a graded stakes race of importance going one turn in Kentucky all year outside of the Churchill Downs handicap? Because I sure as hell can't. And yeah, I mean, yeah, the and, unbridled and Sydney stakes up to a grade three. Like, yeah. oh yeah, you know, you know, the unbridled Sydney. We all we all organize our calendar around that race every year. <laughs> the Giants Causeway Stakes, which by the way is for fillies and mares sprinting. Never understood that one. Or the Giants no. Causeway is for five and a half furlong Philly turf sprinters. And the Perryville and the Kentucky Cup Classic are all grade threes now. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't get it, John. No, and and the problem is that it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Like when you downgrade a race from a grade one to a grade two, well, all of a sudden, a lot of horses that would have run in that race for the just to simply try to get, you know, a, a piece of the graded grade one next to their name and next to the family name. Um, now they're going to look elsewhere because maybe a grade two doesn't do it. Certainly a grade three isn't the same. You're not going to you're not going to go way out of your way unless that's a destination site. You have a listed stake winner and you want to get a you know grade three next to its name. So maybe you chip out for that. But it, it's only going to get worse like you don't again i i'm not a i'm not a student of the history of graded stakes um ratings but i i would think just common sense says that if you upgrade a race from a grade three to a grade two you're going to attract better horses same thing with a grade two to a grade one definitely and vice versa if you downgrade races then a lot less people are going to make that a destination site for you so 
I guess what I guess what the panel is saying to us is that Kentucky racing is king as far as competition and that New York fucking sucks. And that's that's <laughs> that's fine. That's I mean, that's their opinion. And they're the ones who are who have the ball so they can they can go home with it. Um, but I, I thought it was very interesting when when I looked on the Tobo website and again, I'm going to get myself in trouble, but I have to say what I have to say. So last year. Last year, the American Graded Stakes Committee consisted of Everett Dobson, chairman, very reputable. Barbara Banke was on the board, is on a lot of you know great boards and, and is you know uh, top of the Breeders' Cup. Um, Craig Burnick, who we're interviewing later. Walker Hancock, who runs one of the most prestigious stallion uh, farms in, in the history of, of the industry in Claiborne Farm. Brant Lau and David O'Farrell, David O'Farrell representing Ocala Stud. And in the racing officials were Frank Gabriel, who, if I remember correctly, you know, works for Naira. Mm -hmm. um, Rick Hammer Hammerly, Ben Huffman, Chris Mertz and Tom Robbins. So there are representatives from East Coast Racing, from New York Racing, who at least were on the board last year, voting members of the board last year. Um, but what I don't understand is like, what's the criteria it just to me it 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 looks akin to when the NCAA comes out with their brackets for March Madness and they're like these are the top 32 at large teams and there's no argument you can't argue about it you, this is this is how we deem it you know or to a certain extent the bowl games for football it is what it is Okay, and they're not going to be transparent as far as what formula they use, what rubric they use, because they know that then it could be held against them because there is a little bit of of Homerville and sentimentality that needs to be a part of it. But at least with the NCAA tournaments, if you are on, if you represent a conference, you cannot vote on that team that is also from your conference. You're, you mm -hmm. have to recuse yourself from from it because the voting would would be you know you potentially have a conflict of interest potentially a conflict i don't i didn't read anywhere in the bylaws and again I, maybe i missed it i didn't read anywhere in the bylaws about the american uh graded state committee about who they can and can't vote for or what the pro procedure is or what the process is but i would hope to god that if frank gabriel is on there and has a voting interest for New York racing, then why doesn't he have a bigger voice in the decision making for New York racing? Maybe he does. Maybe he maybe he was one of the five vote, one of the 11 votes, excuse me, and and just got outvoted. And that's fine. But I, I would personally love to know what the criteria is as, as far as why some of these races got upgraded as well as downgraded. And there are also I didn't have time, Joe, but there were also some races that I know throughout the year. You and I have talked about it either off air or on air about how the hell is this a grade two or how the <laughs> hell is this a grade three or a great, you know, a grade one even. And, and I don't none of those races came to my mind yesterday when I was when I was doing this exercise. But I know for a fact there were there were a dozen times if it happened once where you and I looked at each other and we're like, how is this a graded stake race? Right. Well, and that's the other part of it. That's the other part of the discussion, by the way, you know, in I. Hopefully the Churchill Downs turf course will be operable sometimes in five years because then they might have to downgrade some some Kentucky races. They didn't get to run on the turf 
all freaking year at Churchill. But those grace, those races all are still right where they need to be. And hopefully they can go on the turf sometime this decade. The other pro- the other thing is, is, is the uh, portion you brought up, which is there are too many great stakes races way yes. too many and 420, 424 graded stakes races in 2024, 420, oh, 429, excuse me, 429, which is down from 440 in 2023. But like, there's this guy, I forget his name, Gary something. He's racing stats and info on Twitter and he, he does a good job. He puts up like these graphics and he keeps stats and everything, uh, leading jockeys, trainers, etc. He posts the graded stakes leaders for jockeys every once in a while. And it's like, Flavian Pratt, 45, or Red Ortiz, 43, Jose Ortiz, 40, some so-and-so, 38. Like, I was like, how? I'm just trying to do the math. Like, how are these, there are this many graded stakes races in America? Because I get get why that's unpopular to get rid of graded races. You know, everybody pretty much in the industry has an interest in getting black type on as many horses as possible. But we got shrinking full crops. So how can you possibly just, and small fields too. So how can you possibly justify in the year of our Lord, 2023, having 429 great stakes races, more than there are days in the calendar. And right. yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's something that has to be addressed as well. And that's what makes me matter about the Naira stuff is it'd be one thing if they just took a hatchet to like, mm-hmm. you know, 25% of the great stakes calendar and knock them down. Then like, it'd be easier for me to stomach the Carter being downgraded or whatever. But like you said, when they're keeping all the Kentucky races at the same level and they only get rid of 11 total graded stakes it seems like there's an agenda that's just that's to me the only logical conclusion right right and 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 when there used to be 400 500 stake races when our pool you know full crop pool was 35 40,000 horses well percentage wise then you said okay the top 5% of the of the crop end up getting black type that's when black type means something not right. when it comes down to like, all right, there's 21,000 foals born every year. A third of them will never, never see the racetrack. They'll never make it to the races. So now you're down to 14,000. Of that 14,000, 7,000 of them will win a race. Half of them will win a race. So now you're talking about 7,000 horses that win a race that, and I know it's not exactly, but 7,000 horses that will win a race that now have 500 shots to get black type. Or, or actually... 500, 500 stake races times three because the top three horses get black type. So there's 1,500 opportunities yeah. to get black type. And I know a horse is going to get black type multiple times. So it's not exactly a one-to-one kind of conversation. But if, if there's 7,000 foals that win a race and therefore, you know, in my estimation, would be eligible for, for, for stakes, or stakes races. And there's 1,500 stakes possibilities, you know, 500 and they get, get black type, I should say 1500 opportunities. It's no longer the top five or 10% of the crop that is getting black type, which is what the whole purpose of black type and graded black type is all about. So yeah, as much as I love as a breeder and as a race owner, I love stake races. I love running in them. You get aside from black type and you get more money, you sometimes get a free meal, which is, you know, speaks to me, but like, you know, it's it's a wonderful thing. It's the lifeblood of 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 the breeding operation is to have black type. That's the first thing people ask you after they say, "Well, who is this horse by?" They say, "Well, what's the black type situation?" And 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 that's what moves the needle on on all these prices. So I understand why they're not getting rid of the majority of the races. I just don't understand why 
they made certain decisions. And I would love to know. And if somebody had a had a you know a, a comprehensive way of explaining it to me or to us as you know, then then I'd be able to understand a little better. I'm not saying I'm against it flat out. I just want to know why certain decisions were made right. when it's very biased. It seems I like mean, it seems like it, but it's like it. You, you could rule out that bias if you released the criteria, like right. at least in the end, like your, your analogy to the March Madness selection show is a good one because, you know, that's kind of secretive. But at least they tell you what they're looking for, like right. top 25 wins, like their right. RPI or whatever, you know, right. It's, they at least tell you generally you might still disagree with the decisions, but they at least tell you generally yeah. What's going into this decision making process? So then you at home can right. compare notes. There's none right. of that with the American Greatest Thanksgiving. Like talking to Craig was some of the first actual details I've ever right. heard about how these races are upgraded or downgraded. And it wasn't much. So no. it's it's just the, the process is too secretive. And yeah, like like John said, no races downgraded in Kentucky speaks volumes. Rail Talk is sponsored by The Green Group. The Green Group is the number one accounting firm in the horse business. There's one reason that no other CPA firm knows the horse industry like they do. Len Green owns over 200 horses, and his DJ staple has won over 2,500 races. Green Group's got over 800 clients because they make them money and save them taxes. And here is a special offer for listeners of Rail Talk right in time for the holiday season. Len's offering, offering a complimentary and confidential half-hour consultation. He guarantees you'll get value. You hear that? He guarantees it like the old men's warehouse ad, except this guarantee actually will come through. You were not guaranteed to look good in those ugly ass suits. Call in at 732-634-5100. Do it before years end so he can prove to you that he'll save you taxes. Time's running out. We only got about 12 days left in the year to take advantage of those 2023 deductions. No one is in a better place to help you with that and guide you through the tax savings beyond more so than Len and the Green Group. Hit him up. Len's my guy. I've been wanting to get this guest on Rail Talk for a while now. He's one of the brightest, most forward-thinking guys in the, in, in the industry, in my opinion. He's the head of Glen Hill Farm. He was the founder of the Thoroughbred Idea Foundation. Craig Burnick, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Great to have you, man. And I, you know, we're going to get into a lot of what you do in the industry. I, I wanted to start off. Uh, we talked a little bit about the graded stakes decisions this year and the upgrading and downgrading of a bunch of races. You were part of the American Graded Stakes Committee. Uh, you didn't participate this year, which is clutch because now I think you can tell us some of the secret sauce and how these things are, are determined because to me, it seems very random sometimes. Like, there are some decisions that I feel like are supported by data and some that I just feel like they're spinning a wheel and pointing at it and, you know, then determining what grade or, or what listed stakes should go up or down. Craig, can you take us a little bit behind the curtain and what the meetings are like, what the discussions are like, what the criteria is like to make these decisions? Like Joe, you say some of it's data and some of it's random. So there's the process for the, for the grade six committee. Um, they break up all of the races into categories. So, two-year-old colts on dirt, those races are only compared to the other two-year-old colts on dirt races, and it follows through all the age groups, um, all the distances, and all the services. So it's, so, so, so it's not like they're comparing the Carter to, you know, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. They're, 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 they're completely different discussions, and the races that are 
discussed are only discussed against other races in that category. Um, you know, so looking, I obviously wasn't on it this year, but they, they did upgrade one race, um, the, the, the Franklin Simpson race in Kentucky Downs, which I guess the Franklin Simpson mile was the best three-year-old turf sprint. Um, so I can see it being upgraded. I think a lot of horses and a lot of connections kind of land on that racetrack. So when you're, so when you're comparing Kentucky Downs' races to the other, other races in the turf categories, they're starting to do really well because there's huge field size. Um, and one of the criteria for the committee, uh, the way they decide strength in the races, are the actual quality points that horses have earned that make up the body of that field. So in a five-horse field, if elite power wins, a lot of horses aren't going to want to run against elite power, so it's going to automatically be a short field. So the the quality of that race from a, the, the accumulation of the points that the horses make up running against a horse like that is going to be small compared to a race that is deemed more wide open. I think, I think a lot of connections try to take a chance, especially when there's big prize money at Kentucky Downs. So those races end up, um, they, they end up scoring really well just as part of the system. You know, the five races that they downgraded from grade one, if I'm looking at it, you know, all five of those races are for older horses. Um, the Carter is a, you know, four and up uh, race at Aqueduct that kind of starts the, starts the season in New York. The Carter, when it's compared to the other sprint races, it probably probably was the lowest. Um, but it's always been a good race. That's I guess that's what happened. And then, Craig, let me let me interrupt you for one second, if, if you if if you don't mind, because in in reading the rules, you brought up the Carter, which which obviously up out here in the East Coast is very important to us. And you know, in the rules, as stated by the by the Graded Stakes Committee, it says that they're you know one of the criteria is they look at two years of history. So it's not just like the, the most recent car. They, they, they look at five years, five, five years. Okay. Even, even better. So, so you look at the Carter in 23 and you say, okay, there were only six horses in the race. No offense to the six horses, but you know, doppelganger repo rocks, express man, not household names, not, you know, grade one horses, but the year before, you know, you had speakers corner who won and, and he, he, Placed in two other grade ones, and he's standing at stud in Kentucky. Um, reinvestment risk, who was a grade two winner and placed in two other grade twos, and mind control, who actually won two grade ones and also standing right. at stud. So it, it just it it was it was questionable to me as to why that race in particular would be earmarked as being downgraded. If if you were in the room, is it is it just that compared to the other grade one comparables, that was the weakest of the group, or is it that, or are there other other factors at play that maybe we don't understand and should know about? You know, without being in it, like my last meeting was August, so there's a there's a there's a grading session in December, um, which is two days, and probably the first hour or two, they they look at a lot of global statistics, um, black type races as a percentage of the overall races. And they look at that country by country. Um, they look at full crop they, 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 and, and they really dive into it. Um, and I think right or wrong, one of the themes the last few years has been trying to make sure that the, the, the group graded races 
and the graded grade one, grade two, grade three races meet their kind of international standard quality, especially on the turf races. There's definitely a, a movement to make sure our races are actually grade one. And I think when you reduce grade ones, um, it can only help the other grade ones get better because there's less opportunities. The, the problem I have is we're giving three-year-olds way too many opportunities to run against straight three-year-olds mm-hmm. instead of going and racing against older horses. Right. Like I'm, I'm doing much more in Europe now. Um, and I think, you know, they have the St. Ledger in September, but that's really a marathon type race. But I really think that after the Epsom Derby and the, you know, the, 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 the Grand Prix de Paris, which is like on July 17th, all the horses have to run against older horses. Like the, like the Coral Eclipse is a, is a 10 furlong race in Sandown. And it's usually an amazing race and it's in July. And it has the best of three-year-olds meeting their older horses for the first time. Like Sup Paddington this year, you know, win, win the Judd Montley. Like, like th- these horses are running against older horses. And I think it makes for absolutely tremendous quality. Where our three-year-olds, um, they never have to run against older horses unless they make the Breeders' Cup. They mm-hmm. actually never have to run against an older horse. Right. When they win a grade right. one, chances are if they can't win multiple grade ones, they're going to retire because if they're, if they're, if they're, if they're well-bred, somebody wants to stand them. And then our, our older division kind of becomes decimated and, you know, we, we, we're losing a little bit of the quality. So if, if I were, you know, I was one of 11, there's six Toba members and five racing secretaries. But if, 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 if I were just in charge, you know, I would have said there's no grade ones for three-year-olds after Saratoga and Delmar close. Right. Yeah, you know no, I, mean? I mean, that makes sense. And there's to me, there's just too many graded stakes in general, you know, relative to the full crop. For us still to have 424 graded stakes in 2024 is just such an anachronism. It doesn't align with the full crop and, and the shrinking field sizes, as you're talking about. I want to shift gears just for a sec, because I mentioned when my introduction that you founded the TIF and right. you, you and Pat Cummings did a tremendous job um, producing a lot of great data and really moving the needle on a lot of issues in this industry. Now the TIF has, is, is folding because Pat Cummings is going on to join Mike Rapoli and his new kind of, alphabet organization to try to improve racing. You know, can you just tell me about, first of all, what are some of the things that TIF did that you're most proud of? And then secondly, what do you think is still to be done that Pat and Mike can take the baton on and moving forward? I don't think when we started the TIF, we were really trying to take over anybody else's um, purview, if you will. We were really trying to tackle issues that from a, from a, horse racing perspective, we didn't think anybody else was working on. So, you know, I'm really proud of the breakage in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, breakage is really antiquated. It's, 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 it was put in place to, so that the lines for people betting at racetracks, um, they, they were able to get through the lines quicker and they weren't worrying about the pennies. 90% of money is bet electronically. So, yeah, right. you know, the money, the money is, is put into your account. We estimate on 10 billion in handle that there's 
approximately $50 million a year if we, if we get breakage across the country. Um, we think there's $50 million in money that would be returned to horse players from breakage. And just the way people bet um, and the way the money churns, we think it would actually create two to $250 million in additional handle if from a national perspective, we were able to give the breakage back. A lot of the the things that we've advocated for from the, you know, we, we sort of combined interference rules with stewards communication. Mm-hmm. I think that there's, there's a little bit of a misnomer with category one versus category two. Um, you know, there's a safe riding provision in category one that says if you're, if you're deliberately or if you're dangerously impeding or fouling another horse and it causes a problem, there's a huge um, suspension penalty for the jockey. And I think a lot of people thought that when we were advocating for category one, it was like, well, you're just going to have a bunch of cowboys and may the best horse win. But mm-hmm. that's, I think, you know, Pat always said, and he's right, like, Twitter is where nuance goes to die. So like there were these, there were every, these like, every decision is the worst decision that's ever been yeah. made. You know, these were like, these were like 10 or 15 or 20 page um, white papers that were like heavily researched for a long time with lots and lots of data backup explanation. And then there's people discussing them that obviously didn't read the paper, don't know what, don't, don't know all the detail in it and so on and so forth. But Joe, you asked like, what's one thing that Mike and Pat can do for me? And it kind of dovetails this conversation that we've had. Like, I, th- I think we need to, f- the first thing we need to fix is kind of race planning with graded stakes, um, maiden races, overnight races. We, we need, we, we, we need to structure racing today. Um, for today's product. If you think about it, we've got a, we've got a smaller fall crop than we've had in a very long time. Like may, may, maybe the smallest in 50 years type thing. And we're a huge country. Like, 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 like it's like, it's a, like, it's like, it's a big space. And I think people sometimes don't realize that, but when we have state bred races and we have sort of jailing races and we have claiming prices, you just think about how many horses um, that have similar ability never never see each other on the racetrack. So you've got you've got horses that are ready to run with no race for them, and you've got betters that are looking for good field sizes and competitive races and five or six horse fields. You know, I don't know Mike well at all, um, but I did encourage Pat to go work for him. Um, he's going to be you know he's going to be He's very well capitalized, obviously. He's passionate about the sport. And I think like the, the really the dream would be that somebody like that comes in and uh you know be, becomes a real leader in the sport. So I, I think he's the right guy. So I'm very hopeful for that organization. I agree. And just one thing, I one small thing I think we need to work on, Commissioner Rapoli and Pat, if you're listening. Can we stop running races on top of each other? Like, why is it so hard to figure out? Why am I watching the races and there's four races going off at the exact same time? Seems like a small thing, but somehow we can't figure it out. Craig, the simplest thing. Yeah, Craig, man. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing the insight with us. Uh, we love hearing from you all the time. We wish you the best of luck in 2024 with Glen Hill and any other endeavors that you embark upon. Appreciate the time, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. 
Yeah, yeah no, thanks. Good to talk to you. Rail Talk is sponsored by Facing Tipton. It was a great, successful 2023 for Facing Tipton. We all remember where we were at the Night of the Stars, which is always a marquee event on the calendar. I had my first time at the Saratoga sale this summer, which was so exciting and so fun. I can't wait to be back next year. The New York Bread sale was also a big success, the two-year-old sales. And the digital sales. They had 300 horses cataloged for the December digital sale, which... I think has got to be the biggest digital sale ever in, in in the history of U.S. racing and auctions. So shout out to Facing Tipton for being at the forefront of those developments. And on that note, they have plenty of digital sales coming up after the Kentucky Winter Mix sale, which is their first physical sale, February 5th and 6th in Lexington. They got the February digital sale, the March digital sale, the April digital sale, and the May digital sale before we come upon the Mid-Atlantic two-year-old in training sale May 20th and 21st in Timonium. So that's four opportunities. Each is going to run for five days or six days, excuse me, on the calendar to nominate now horses that you don't have to take out of training, turnkey horses for the buyers. It's 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 blowing up for a reason. And Facing Tipton does a better job, I think, than anybody in that realm. So check out those digital sales in 2024. Since this is the last show of 2023, we're going to look ahead to 2024 as, you know, John, I, there weren't... There weren't too many great memories in 2023, just in terms of like the overall picture of what blew up in racing. Like I was looking at the, the, the TDN's top 10 most read stories of 2023 and eight of the top 10 had to do with either horses or horse people dying. Not to say that there weren't great moments. We've had a lot of fun at West Point. There've been a lot of great performances, but I think it makes more sense to look forward to 2024 and hope for a much cleaner, more prosperous time for everybody in racing. Uh, I'm looking forward to selfishly some of the West Point horses in integration. I mentioned I'm so excited to see what he can do as a four year old. We got a couple of two year olds on the Derby trail. So here I am manifesting us winning the 2024 Kentucky Derby into a microphone. Um, stretch ride is, is among the top of them. He's going to be, he's going to start his three year old year in the fountain of youth. Uh, we got a couple of others too, but, um, the other one is the Belmont at Saratoga situation. Because if you haven't heard, which I'm sure you have, Belmont, Belmont Stakes is going to be run at Saratoga next June. There's going to be a four-day racing festival up at Saratoga with all the Belmont Stakes you would you would expect. I'm interested to see how that goes, man, because you know even in an off-year Belmont, you still get a ton of people relative to the capacity at Saratoga. So I don't know if they're going to build new temporary seating or what. It's going to be a big schlep to get everybody, all the horse, all the horses and horse people up there for four days and then to go back down. I know the hotel rooms are already like $1,500 a pop. So it's going to be fun. I think the big stick in everybody's in, in the mud for everybody is, is big stick in the craw for everybody is the 10 furlong distance or cutting it back from 12 to 10 furlongs. They could have run it at a mile and a half. They've done it at Aqueduct in the past when Belmont was being renovated the previous time. I don't know, John. I, I'm hopeful that maybe you'll get a couple of more horses that will be, you know, trainers will be willing to run 10 furlongs instead of 12, especially if they've already run in one of the triple crown races. Uh, what are you looking forward to in 2024? And I'm also curious to get your thoughts on Belmont at Saratoga. Well, we'll start with Belmont Saratoga. I, I think it's great. I really am, am so pleased that um, there's not going to be, uh, you know, a year where, where we don't have the Belmont or where we have it at a goofy time of the year like we had to do during COVID. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a pain in the ass for everyone to go up to Saratoga, but it's Saratoga and it's you're going to Saratoga in June. It's not like you're going to Saratoga in February. So it, it's going to be a great time of year to go there. Um, yeah, it, it's unfortunate that, that it has to be that way, that one of the Triple Crown races has to be 
uh, moved. But Joe, if you remember, it wasn't so long ago that like the Preakness and Naira were you know, considering running their respective races at different times and different di- different dates and different um, distances. So like this shouldn't be too much of a shock or too much of an interruption for people um, to do it. Yeah, you know, the, the, the 12 furlongs is the ultimate challenge for horses. But, you know, unfortunately, the way that the breed is right now, nobody really wants to, to have 12 furlong horses. So unless they can run on the turf. So, you know, it, it, it may be where um, I remember when 9-11 occurred and Keeneland had to cancel the first Friday out of the sale. And then because of that, they realized, hey, this is actually a good thing for us. You know, it's forcing us to make it make a change. And now they've adopted that first Friday off and it helps for logistics and it helps for travel and helps the horses. And, and it's turned out to be a good you know, byproduct of that situation. I'm hoping that the same thing happens here with the Belmont, where maybe when they come back, it doesn't have to be a 12 furlong marathon like it's been in the past and i know that that's contra to, to tradition and all that stuff but you know it's modern times and and we just don't breed it, just like when i did the interview with um uh, with kimberly um who wrote lexington they used to run you know races that were four miles and they would do that and then 45 minutes later run another four miles well they don't do that anymore obviously so so you know we can change we can definitely change um as far as what i'm looking forward to for for 2024 um, Joe, we have, you know, four horses that we've named on this show, Burner Account, Change at Jamaica, Naval Hospital, and my favorite, Mean to Me, um, that are all going to be making hopefully their debuts in 2024. So it's going to be fun to watch them train and to talk about them and and see how they're doing. Um, and ultimately, you know, when I may be a little nervous when when the first one goes into the ring, excuse me, goes into the uh, the gate for the first time. God forbid I saw one of them. Oh my God. Can you imagine, like, that? Can you imagine the, the rioting that would go on if we, if we saw them? knows what you look like now too. That's true. That was a Freudian she only slip. Listen to the audio. She'd only listened to the audio before. Now she knows what you look like. Man. Yeah. I'm, I'm the good looking younger guy. Exactly. Um, and, and the last thing that I'm looking forward to, hopefully I'm trying to manifest this for 24 as well. Um, and it's not even a, a selfish wish. It's that, one of our one of our friends and partners, Gary Barber, that he wins the Sovereign Award um, as as leading owner in Canada. The guy ran 170 horses in Canada, 37 wins, 47, excuse me, 42 seconds, 28 thirds, 22 percent winning percentage. And he won 10 stake races at Woodbine alone. He was first and second in the King's Plate with Paramount Prince and uh, Elysian Field. He won the Canadian Oaks with that filly. I just think that it's time. The guy put in a lot of money and a lot of effort and sends a lot of horses to Canada. And for whatever reason, he has not been named Sovereign Award owner. I'm sure because he's not a Canadian or because he's not living there or doesn't summer there, that that may have something to do with it. But the guy is good for racing. The guy is good for Canadian racing. And uh, it would just be nice to have him be recognized finally after all these years because it's the right thing to do. He he deserves to be the leading owner, um, the sovereign award winner, I should say, in Canada for for this year, which those announcements will be in 2024. Wow. John using his time to advocate for somebody else so selfless, as I've always known him to be. Me, I just want to win the Derby. I want to win the me. This guy right here wants to win the Derby. And, of course, 
the rest of the West, West Point team and all the West Point partners. But yeah, hopefully, you know, we get some great racing in 2024. No more high profile. First of all, as few breakdowns as possible, but no more mm-hmm. high profile breakdowns, you know, on big stages like that, because that's just it's, it was very t- tough, difficult to deal with in 2023, especially because overall, I feel like the, the industry is moving in the right direction on these issues. I'm interested to see the first full year of the anti-doping medication control program with Heisa in charge. I'm interested to see what that bears. Um, so a lot, a lot to look forward to. And of course, good health and prosperity to everybody in the new year. But only if you listen to the show. Otherwise, yeah, fuck you if you don't listen to the show. Otherwise, uh, I want to dedicate this episode to a very special person in my life who passed away last weekend. My uncle, Alan Damaris is his name. He was a big supporter of the show and, you know, I always appreciate it. He was always liking and sharing and commenting. And just every time I saw him would ask me about the show and how it was going. And he's just one of those guys that is just he was just a supportive person. Whatever you were into, he was into. And he was just had so much love for all the people in his orbit, his friends, his family, especially his grandkids. Uh, the funeral was on Saturday and it was an unbelievable turnout with people telling great stories, funny stories, and just appreciating the amount of love he brought to their lives. And I'm no exception. I'm, I'm chief among those people. So thank you, Alan, for everything, for all the support, for all the love over the years and condolences, of course, to his lovely wife, Joni, who's also my aunt, one of my favorite people in the entire world and her, her kids and my first cousins, Matt, Carrie and Andrew, thinking about you guys. And uh, thank you. And, and thank your dad and your husband for all the love that he brought. Into the world. All right. So that's going to do it for episode 21, the final rail talk of 2023. It's been a blast. It's been a crazy year, but it's been great to talk through it and have a bunch of laughs and a bunch of really good quality conversations of course, with my co-pilot, John Green, and all the guests that we've had on. So thank you to John. Thank you to our producer, Patty Wolf, for all the hard work that she puts in behind the scenes and unfortunately sometimes in front of the scenes. Uh, but we love her anyway. Thank you to Anthony LaRocca, Aliyah LaRocca, and Nathan Wilkinson, our incredibly talented and dedicated editors. Appreciate you guys always. And most of all, thank you to you and the sponsors and the sponsors. Let's thank the sponsors first. Thank you to the sponsors for their support. We appreciate you guys and appreciate you seeing the vision from the jump. And we're looking forward to more great times and great partnerships in 2024. But overall, I got to say the people I'm appreciative to the most are the listeners and the viewers who have followed us over here. The audience continues to grow. The enthusiasm from you guys keeps us going. And we appreciate every single kind word you've said. And even if you've just listened to one episode, you're the reason that we're doing this show. So thank you. Have a happy and safe holiday season and new year. And we'll see all you guys in 2024.